Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I think there's just still so much uncertainty. I, I couldn't even tell you what 2022 is likely to look like because we just don't know what's coming as we get deeper into the winter. Are we going to be in a situation by next February, next March where things are just absolutely awful again? They are serious about change and they see something has gone wrong over here. Here's a red flag. Let's go fix that. And then they get measurement back that says it's getting worse. Emotions are an important part of a customer experience. But actually, when you ask organizations whether they are measuring specific customer emotions, then the answer is no, they're not. So, Ryan, you know our company, Beyond Philosophy, is now 20 years old. 20 years. 20 years from the 1st of January. Yeah, 20 years old. And ever since I started the company and Beyond Philosophy back in the day before I customer experience was even thought about, I've been looking at what I hope other people have been looking at, which is called the American Customer Satisfaction Institute and their stats and their, the index that they have. And it's actually been going since 1994. How about that? Wow. And today on the show, we've got David Vandenberg, who's the Managing Director of the American Customer Satisfaction Index. So welcome, David. Thank you. So first of all, well done. You've done an excellent job over the over the last 20 years. Well, in fact, longer than that, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about your background and then we'll get into some of the some of the stats around it? Yes, as you said, Colin, the the, uh, the index began in, in 1994, actually at the University of Michigan here in, in Ann Arbor where I was uh, uh, doing uh, graduate work and uh, found my way to the business school and, and ultimately to what was then called the National Quality Research Center, developed at the business school here at the University of Michigan. And it was the original producer of the American Customer Satisfaction Index, if you will, since has spun off into the private sector as the university and many research universities are, are want to do with various kinds of uh, technologies and methodologies and things that are developed there. We've been going strong now for about the last decade as a private enterprise spun away from the university. Good. Great. The thing that really has sort of caught my eye over the years and really caught my eye recently is I've been talking on this podcast about waves of change and how, if I go back in my history, you we've had waves of change like total quality management and business process reengineering and obviously the wave of change that we've been on for the last 20 years has effectively been customer experience. But the really interesting stat I saw on your site the other day, which forced me to reach out and to invite you on today to get your view, was that the satisfaction levels are at an all-time low. 
which just seems so ironic given the given the focus that's been put on customer experience over over that period of time so can you give us your view as to what's been happening and, and why we're where we are I don't think we're in an all-time low now. The um, level right now is a little above where it was in the late 1990s, but we've definitely plunged pretty significantly over the last couple of years. And we can talk a little bit about that in terms of the pandemic, because there's certainly a, a huge impact there, although that's not the whole story. But interestingly enough, if we could rewind for just a bit, and I can speak to this concept of waves of change because it's a very interesting part of the early days of ACSI. We came out with our first measure in, in 1994 thinking, oh, this looks very good. We've got some fascinating results and satisfaction seems to be relatively strong across the U.S. household consumer economy. And then ACSI proceeded to plummet every single quarter for about three years and finally bottomed out in 1997 and then started on an upward swing again. And interestingly enough, a lot of what was going on at that time was what we could consider perhaps the transformation of the household consumer economy into much more of a self-service economy. Sure. We think about pumping our own gas at the gas stations now as if it's nothing, but there was a time, and that, of course, was happening before 1994, but there was a time when that was unusual, right? Uh, that, sure. that was sort of, oh, you're going to make me get out of my car and pump my own gas? No, yeah, no, terrible, wasn't it? In the mid-90s, we were starting to see other kinds of innovations, the the origins and rise of self-service checkout lanes at supermarkets and other kinds of retailers and so on. Probably ordering your own plane tickets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, booking your own plane tickets, the kind of, I won't say demise, but certainly a falling off of the whole travel booking industry. Now it moved online, obviously, with the Travelocities and the Expedias and so on, but not going through, you know, an agent anymore, but get going on a website or picking up the phone and making your own reservations. As consumers, we think in long term and short term. In long term, we find ourselves looking back in retrospect and we're happy and grateful and satisfied with all of these new technologies and things that come out that are supposed to make our lives better. But in the short term, they kind of irritate us, right? I mean, it's it's annoying. It's It's something new. It's something to learn. It's something that we're not used to. And it can have that negative effect, which we saw starting in 1994 and then bottoming out in 1997 on overall satisfaction. And it, it doesn't mean that the products aren't the same or overall our perception of the companies aren't generally the same, but we're kind of irritated that we have to do these things. And in the self-service context, I think as a collective set of consumers in the United States, we're especially irritated in the mid to late 90s by the fact that we were doing more for ourselves in terms of the customer experience. We were essentially generating some of our own customer experience, right? Yeah. But it's not that it was saving us any money. <laughs> it's not that the prices were coming down in the supermarket or for electronics we were buying or other kinds of things we were buying. So there's that perception of, uh, well, wait a minute, I'm doing part of your job for you, but you're still charging me the same price at the end of the day for what you're doing, so or for what I'm doing, basically. So the value proposition took a hit, if you will. Thank you for correcting me. It's not the lowest point ever. Last quarter, I know it ticked up a bit, but it's about the lowest point for the last 15 years uh, or something like that. We know that COVID has, has had a hit 
by the way, we'll put a link to uh, the ASCII results in the in the show notes for everyone, so you can see the graphs yourselves. We know that COVID has obviously had an effect, but the other interesting stat that was on the site, which I thought was really interesting, was that from 2010 to 2019, about 70% of the companies tracked by ASCII had declined or had got flat customer service scores. So that's pre-pandemic, and that is, I would argue, at the height of the customer experience movement, if you like. And for only 30% of organizations to have increased their customer SAT scores is, is really interesting to me. What, why do you think that's the case? Yeah. So setting aside the pandemic for a moment, and, I, and we can come back to that, of course. Yeah, but sure. The, the, the longer duration, if you will, the decade roughly that we're talking about here before the pandemic, I think there are a couple of things going on. Certainly companies are all about CRM now, pretty much companies of any size, at least of any decent size, maybe not the little mom and pop, not getting into the technology of it. That's not to say they don't care about their customers, obviously, but, but getting heavily, you know, wading heavily into the, the technologies and tools and things that are available to them. Everybody's doing it. I would argue that in a couple of things. One, I think that the biggest companies, certainly the midsize up to the biggest companies are perhaps overdoing it overdoing crm yeah the amount of measurement that's out there we we have become technology is is a a double-edged sword to use the cliche we can measure anything now and we can do it very easily and we can do it actually very cheaply because of the digital explosion that's occurred uh worldwide in the last uh you know decade two decades but I, I think back to Jeff Goldblum in, in Jurassic Park when he warns about reinventing the dinosaurs. Just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean we should. Yes, we should, yeah. Sure. Companies are quite keen to measure tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of transactions and, and doing it at that very minute level with this desire to solve everyone's problem at a transactional level, rather than stepping back and thinking more cumulatively and thinking more sort of big picture, 35,000 foot view, where are we with this vertical of our business overall or this particular product line or whatever. So I think there's some overdoing it, especially given that it's not entirely clear at all times that companies are doing the right things with the data or necessarily know what to do with the data. I think uh, there is, and when you talked about waves of change, I think with the CRM, the advent of all of this uh, CRM technology and all of this measurement, a lot of it has become checking a box. It has become someone somewhere in the organization demands some numbers, so I'm going to provide those numbers. But what's being done with those numbers, it's not always clear. And whether it's actually winding its way back, these various metrics, to some kind of concrete operational strategic assessment is not clear. And that's not to say that all the stuff out there that's being done is garbage, but it's just not clear that that it's really seeping into the strategic side of the business. A lot of metrics are being used to do things like impact bonus compensation and things of that nature, which is fine. But are you doing anything else with it, right? You know, is it actually driving real change? 
that's going to improve the bottom line? And I think in many cases, the answer to that is no. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. The other part for me is just saying a couple of things that I've said over the last while, which is, so for me, there are a group of companies that are doing customer experience or say they're doing customer experience and they're doing it just because everybody else is doing it. They're not really committed to improving the customer experience. It's just the latest vogue thing for them to feel that they need to to do. The second area for me is that whilst I would agree that there is loads of measurement out there, they're measuring the wrong bloody thing, basically. One of our beliefs is around emotions are an important part of a customer experience. But actually, when you ask organizations whether they are measuring specific customer emotions, then the answer is no, they're not. And so my worry is, and I would agree with you, and you know, the latest version, if you like, of CRM. So if we went back 20 years, everyone was talking CRM, everyone was buying CRM systems and CRM as a technology platform, I think over the last 10 years has grown from, uh, I was looking at some stats the other day, from 13 billion to 69 billion in revenues. And obviously you've got companies like Salesforce that have grown massively. The equivalent of that for customer experience, if you like, has been the voice of the customer software. And again, I would support what you're saying in the sense of, and therefore with that, you've got lots of measures, but whether they're measuring things that would truly drive value and whether they focus on the things that truly would drive up customer sat is a different cat of fish. Does that make sense? I agree. And to, and to speak a little bit about the tools, and I'm not going to say anything negative about anybody, but just to toss out the names, you're, you're absolutely right. There are so many tools out there, whether you go with a survey monkey or a Qualtrics or a Medallia or an InMoment or, you know, there's there, yeah. there are so many. And they're very good as far as creating technology platforms, creating survey capturing technologies and other kinds of things, but they still have to be wielded by someone. And they are only as good as what you've decided within the company you're going to chase. And you're absolutely right. I think that too often these tools are being used to chase the wrong things or the data is being used in a fashion that simply isn't ultimately helpful in terms of driving operational change, in terms of developing strategy and so on. This was the interesting, again, to get back to your point about waves of change, this is the interesting development that we saw at the ACSI being roughly 30 years old now, approaching 30 years old now. I spoke about the self-service household consumer economy. We also witnessed the rise of 
through CRM, through these uh, tools that have been developed. I think Qualtrics came about in what, 2001, 2002, something like that. The rise of the self-service in-house measurement, right? It, it became not necessary to rely on big market research firms with call centers and get me this data and get me benchmarks for my competitors and so on. It led to this rise of a belief that, well, we can do all of this in-house now. We have our own market research team and we'll push out surveys and we know how to do this. And in some cases, I think that is true. But I think in many other cases, either, as you said, they're not super serious about it or they are serious about it, but they're just not doing it all that competently. They don't really know what they should be looking for. Clearly, one of the big waves of change that have been engulfed in this last 20 years has been this little thing called the internet and the, so the rise of you know, digital transformation and everything else. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And to maybe pivot back to the pandemic a little bit, you know, one of the industries that we've been measuring in ACSI for 25 plus years now that survived the pandemic really without a scratch is retail banking because retail banking today has become so digitally savvy, so sophisticated. Not only can you log on to your Bank of America website or Chase website or whatever and check your balances and transfer money and pay bills and do all of those things. You can take a picture of a check somebody gave you on your phone and deposit it through their mobile app. Not only do you not have to go into the bank branch anymore and talk to a teller, you don't even have to pull up to the ATM to deposit the check. So sure. when we all went into lockdown, or most of the country went into lockdown for a period of time, didn't really affect banks all that much because so many people were just doing their banking that way anyway. They were already kind of set up to absorb something like the pandemic and all of the challenges that it posed by their embrace of all these digital technologies in a way that other industries still had their struggles. Sure. Ryan, I'm conscious that David and I can rattle on about this stuff for hours. So have you got any questions you want to ask? I don't know if this is even so much a question as just kind of a rephrasing to make sure I wrap my head around it. Because it, it is, as both you and Colin have pointed out, David, it is counterintuitive that the more effort is put into a customer experience initiatives kind of globally, the worse things seem to have gotten, at least over periods of time. And so... If, if I'm understanding some broad categories of things that go wrong is it could be that people are treating measurement as if it is just a, a box to be checked. And the fact that we've measured it means that we don't need to do anything else. And so we've kind of stopped efforts at that level. Another thing that can go wrong, kind of another bucket might be kind of overreacting to measurement as it comes in, overreacting to data. Uh, there's a, a an idea in psychology of um, medium maximizations. So the idea is that if we're measuring something that's kind of in between where we are and where we want to go, we might over-focus on that medium. So over-focus on the, the data that's coming in and that might lead us in the wrong direction. Am I missing any other kind of broad categories of what might explain the decline? No, I think I think that's right. And and the and the latter point that you made, we we didn't really elaborate on a whole lot, but but there definitely is something to that as well. As you both know, all data 
is noisy to an extent, right? There's always some error in data, especially survey data, because you're asking people to respond. Customer satisfaction is an intangible, right? It's not, it's not something we can count in the way we can count a lot of other CRM data. We can count things like how many minutes did someone wait on hold at a call center before they talk to an operative and that kind of thing. But customer satisfaction is, is uh, as you were speaking uh, to earlier, Colin, it's, it's got emotion in it, right? It's, a, it's an intangible. So there's always going to be noise in data. Some methodologies are noisier than others. You get wilder swings one direction and then the next from one day to the next, one week to the next, one month to the next, and so on. And I think that companies sometimes find themselves chasing chasing that noise. They are serious about change and they see something has gone wrong over here. Here's a red flag. Let's go fix that. And then they get measurement back that says it's getting worse. Well, we did the wrong thing. Let's do something else. But they're not really tying the measurement in the right way to figure out, well, did we really need to change that? Or is that red flag over there something that looks bad to us, but if we were to measure it the right way, we'd find out customers don't really care all that much about that. There's other things that they're more concerned about that we could be focusing on that maybe even perform, are performing better, but we could have them performing better still and get more bang for our buck. So there, I think there's just a lot of confusion when there is so much data out there. It's, it's almost overwhelming the amount of data that can be available to these companies. And it begs the question, well, where do we start? I think sometimes they're starting in the wrong place. I think sometimes they're starting in just too many places. It's kind of a catch-all. Well, we should fix everything. And in other cases, I think they are just checking a box. Which is really counterintuitive, right? Because we, we hear so often that companies need to be nimble. They need to respond. Um, they need to respond quickly and, and powerfully. I think the point that you're making, which is a great one, is that assumes a level of confidence in the data that we're getting that is rarely reality. It's rarely justified by the actual measurements that we're getting. And if I can also reframe what you're saying in, in terms that flatter my particular biases, you're speaking to the importance of theory, of having a theory for what your customers are getting out of the experience and using the data to kind of guide towards that, that theoretical strategy, as opposed to rethinking everything or responding in a knee-jerk fashion to every blip of data that comes in as it comes in. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think the issue for me is this, it's interpretation of data and it gets interpreted by people with an outdated mindset, let me put it that way, that don't understand human behavior well enough to be able to interpret the results correctly. So we got so much stuff and this goes back a bit, Ryan, you know, we did the podcast a little bit ago around customer centricity. And we talked about the difference between transactional companies and enlightened companies. The danger is, is that a lot of the organizations and probably the 70% that are in the, in um, David's stats between 2010 and 2019 that didn't improve their experience, they're looking at it through transactional eyes. They're not looking at it through enlightened, and this is our jargon, but 
you know, more emotional behavioral science eyes that could interpret the data in a better way. Does that make sense to both of you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you've nailed it. That's exactly right. And I think the other thing for me, let me put an, another view to you, David. I was talking to a fellow influencer about this a little while ago, and he said to me, oh, yeah, he said, the reason this is, though, is because customers' expectations have increased. And I thought, hmm, yeah. So if I if I reflect back to self-service, as you were talking about at the beginning, yeah, our expectations as customers have increased, obviously, over over that period of time. Whilst it's those have increased, do you think it's that they've increased so much or they've increased, if I was trying to put a logical spin on this, that they've increased to the 30% that have improved their experience and now, therefore, what you're seeing is, is a reporting of the 70% that haven't improved their experience. Does that make sense as a question? I don't know if it does or not. I think it does, yes. And we actually measure customer expectations as part of the model that's right. used to calculate the index and all of its scores. And we have seen some increase in customer expectations over the years, but it's very small and it's very rational. There's no gap. There's no widening gap between customer expectations and, and customer satisfaction. During that period of time from, I believe, about 1997 until the early 2010s, we saw customer satisfaction rising pretty steadily. So for about, uh, you know, 15 years and expectations rising along with it, but not in a way that the gap between expectations and satisfaction was increasing. And as it has flattened and then, of course, has plunged in the last two years, leveling off now, we saw expectations actually decline relative to that plunge in satisfaction. And I think that makes sense. I mean, emotionally, you know, when if we were to measure retail, and we do on a month to month basis in all of 2020 and see the impact that empty shelves at supermarkets and so on was having on on customer satisfaction it definitely was a was a huge negative but expectations actually came down yeah for those retailers at the same time because there was that feeling and this is exactly what you guys are talking about in terms of emotion in other words it's understandable yeah people are saying i get it yeah. You know, there's no toilet paper on the shelf. Am I happy about it? No. Am I less satisfied now with this visit to the store? Absolutely. But do I have some unrealistic expectation that my Kroger or, you know, whatever, uh, uh, my Publix or wherever I'm shopping should somehow, damn it, be able to have that toilet paper? No, I don't have that expectation because I know what's going on in the world. So expectations in general, I think are, are surprisingly rational among household consumers and do adjust themselves over time, up and down, in the context of what their most recent experiences have been like. So, David, I'm conscious of time. Let me ask you one other question, and this may be an unfair question. Any thoughts of where you think it's going to go this year? We thought that we would see significant improvement in 2021 in many, if not, you know, most or all of the industries that we measure in ACSI. And we measure about four dozen 
household consumer industries, all of all the industries you would, you know, you would expect retail and finance and travel and, you know, even government. As we have all said uh, throughout this chat, we have seen the numbers start to level off, but we haven't really seen a lot of improvement yet. Unfortunately, I think that's tied to, in large part, there's still just so much uncertainty, right? With COVID, we just don't know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us thought when the vaccines came out and obviously there's still, you know, a chunk of unvaccinated and we don't need to get into that, but the large portion of people who are getting vaccinated, we're over 50%, we're over 60%, whatever. That was going to make a huge difference. We we're com- going to come out of this and then Delta hit and now Omicron and we don't know what's going to happen with Omicron. So there's just that feeling of, is this ever going to be over? And I think patience is starting to wear thin for a lot of people. Uh, and, and that's, again, not to blame companies that provide us with products and services necessarily, but I think there's just still so much uncertainty. I, I couldn't even tell you what 2022 is likely to look like because we just don't know sure. what's coming as we get deeper into the winter. Are we going to be in a situation by next February, next March where things are just absolutely awful again. Schools will have to shut down and, you know, who knows? Sure. I just think it's it's still such a crapshoot as far as what's, no matter how well these companies try to prepare themselves for it. I will say, I think there are a couple of industries that now have pivoted in a way that if things were to become significantly worse again, they're going to be more capable of surviving. And I'm thinking particularly of restaurants who had to scramble last spring, last summer, uh, especially sit-down restaurants, not the McDonald's of the world that had their drive-thrus anyway, so you could just you know do the drive-thru, but the sit-down dining who had to quickly come up with ways to do takeout and delivery, get, get going with DoorDash and Uber Eats and some of the others out there that provide those kinds of services that they just never really had that relationship with before. They would be better prepared now if we get another huge wave and we have to kind of go into that other world. But ah, I just don't know. I told you it was an unfair question. <laughs> no, it's not an unfair <laughs> question at all. It's just it, it's just a question that uh, it unfortunately doesn't really have an answer, right? It's it, yeah, it, there's just no, so much totally. uncertainty. David, it's been um, really, uh, really good having you on the show and I hope we can get you back at some point and um, maybe six months time and find out where we are. Yeah. If people want to get hold of you, then how do they do that? We'll obviously put the link to the ASCII site in the show notes, but uh, how would they reach out? The uh, link to the uh, website to the American Customer Satisfaction Index will give you the site itself and there's also links there for getting in touch with us about learning more information about one's company or just chatting with with me or anyone. And then um, my email address is available as well, but I can give it to you. It's just my last name, V-A-N-A-M-B-U-R-G at theacsi.org, T-H-E-A-C-S-I.org. Great. Good. David, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Thank you so much. That was so interesting. My pleasure. It was uh, a lot of fun uh, chatting with both of you. Great. And we look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. 
Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.